Hello everyone, my name is Brad. And I'm Denise. We are the hosts of World's True Crime Podcast. Every week, I will give Denise, who happens to be a true crime newbie, a case to research and study. And together, we'll go over it with all of you. So please join us for a new episode every week at World's True Crime Podcast, which is available on all platforms to download and enjoy. So remember everyone, the world is not always as it seems. Beth. And I'm Bailey. And we are True Crime B&B. Welcome back for week 15. And actually we've had two bonus episodes so this is really the 17th but it's week 15. But we'll call it lucky number 15 so. There you go. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're just gonna jump right on in yep. and I'm going first this week. Yes. So I did want to give a formal apology to Brad and Denise for starting out this week with a Canadian story, because those are our friends up north that you heard from in the beginning there. When Bailey wants to pick on somebody, it's usually Canada or I Utah. I love Canadians, I do. It's just, <laughs> there's so many horrible stories. Okay, mm-hmm. so once again, just going to jump right in. We're going to start with Brittany Jane Gargle, born on August 31st, 1996 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. Oh, okay, good job. I know, I was looking up the pronunciations, and I'm like, I'm not going to remember how to say it. But. <laughs> On March 25th, 2015, Brittany was 18 years old at this time, and she had a best friend named Cheyenne Antoine. The two were getting ready for a night of bar hopping. They were going to go to a house party first and then bar hop the rest of the evening, which I thought was super young, but then I remembered they probably have different drinking laws in Canada than they do down here. Or they were just doing it anyway. Yeah. I don't know what the drinking laws are in Canada. I have no idea. Hey, Denise, Brad, help us out. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, they got ready together. It sounded like they did it at Cheyenne, the best friend's house, because they got ready there, and then they took a selfie together. Brittany ended up posting that on Facebook and made it her profile picture that night, and then after that, they went to the house party and then to the bars. Okay. While out at the bars, Brittany met a man that she seemed to be getting along really well with, and they started dancing and talking, and then eventually the girls lost track of each other. And what seemed like happened is that Brittany had a purse, and Cheyenne didn't have one, so she put her phone in Brittany's purse. Oh, jeez. So now Brittany's got both of their phones, and Cheyenne has no way of contacting her. And they're split up. And they're split up. She doesn't know where she went, and then she looked for her throughout the bar, couldn't find her, and just kind of assumed, well, she must have gone home with that guy. She didn't really know what had happened. Folks, if you're going to go home with somebody from a bar, which is probably unsafe in this world anymore, but if you're going to, let somebody know where you're going. Yeah, don't just leave with them. Please tap out and say, hey, here's his license plate. Here's where we're going. I mean, it's not a judgment on morals. It's just We've all done something stupid like this, and looking back, it's like, God, I was so lucky I got out of that situation. I mean, you used to always share your location with everybody when you would go That's because I got into true crime before I started drinking, so like, luckily, (laughs) (laughs) at the mindset. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. No, it's okay. So like I said, they split up. Cheyenne didn't know where she went, so sometime after midnight, she just assumed she went home with that man, and ended up going home, and she said that she spent time the rest of the evening into the early morning with her uncle at home. Okay. Sometime between 3 o'clock to 4 o'clock a.m., Cheyenne ended up going onto Brittany's Facebook wall and posting, because again, she didn't have her cell phone to text her. She posted, where are you? Haven't heard from you. I hope you make it home safe, and I need my phone. Love ya. Then, unfortunately, the next morning, six hours after the Facebook post, original one with the selfie of the two of them, a man found a lifeless body outside of a rural road on the outskirts of Saskatoon and called the police. 
When they found this body, it was pretty apparent that the cause of death was strangulation. They also found a thick belt next to the woman's body, and because the cause of death was most likely strangulation, they kind of assumed that was the murder weapon. The police released a photo of the tattoos on the victim because they couldn't identify her. They had no missing persons report yet because it had only happened like six hours previous. Yeah, it didn't take very long for him to do the deed. Ugh. Once seeing this on like the news or wherever she saw it, Cheyenne called to report her friend missing and was worried that this was her friend. Oh my gosh. And after they brought her in, questioned her and everything, she, it was confirmed that it was Brittany on <sighs> the side of the road that day. Well, Cheyenne obviously gave her a statement as the last person who'd seen her and knew who she had, kind of knew who she'd left with, stuff like that. Did she see the guy well enough to describe him? Kind of, but there, she was like, I was pretty intoxicated. I could tell you maybe he had brown hair or something like that, but I probably wouldn't recognize him, honestly. I think mm. it was that kind of thing. Yeah. Police proceeded to, now that they had the statement from Cheyenne, go in, back to the bar and check the CCTV footage saying... Maybe we have her dancing with this guy on camera somewhere, so we, at least we have a face or something to okay. put to it. Hopefully. And so they go back, and they found that they reviewed, I think they said 500 hours of footage from that bar, all the bars they went to, surrounding footage, and found not a single image of either Brittany or Cheyenne on any of those cameras. Oh my gosh, were the cameras working? They were all working. They were working the entire night, and these girls clearly had never been here. So they wow. were like okay, we need to go talk to Cheyenne again. So they didn't, They the police were like, you didn't actually go to the bars you told us you went to. Well, they kind of came forward and said, your story's not adding up. You said okay. you were definitely here and that you remember the, everything vividly That and then you went back to your uncle's house and just hung out with him for this night. Yeah, so they were just puzzled why they wouldn't have shown up even once, even coming into the entrance at oh, one point. Oh, I don't like where this is going. Yeah. So, police began to look closer at the relationship between the two girls, including the selfie that Brittany, the murder victim, had posted right before going out that night. I'm going to show you this photo that was her profile picture now on Facebook. On the left, that's Cheyenne. On the right is Brittany. Okay. And I'll post this on our Instagram for those not looking at it right now. Do you notice anything in this photo that was found possibly near the body of Brittany? So, the belt found at the scene of Brittany's disposal where she had been placed after being murdered was a leather black belt that was woven so it was pretty thick but it was woven multiple times and when they looked back at the photo of Brittany and Cheyenne that they had taken that night Cheyenne is seen wearing the exact oh, belt wow. that was found next to Brittany's body oh Cheyenne yep and unfortunately Cheyenne had not been the one that posted this photo uh, Brittany had been so Cheyenne didn't know that the evidence was on... Well, she knew. She just had no ability to take it down because it was on her friend's account. Yeah. Wow. Two weeks after this, a friend of Cheyenne's came forward and told police that that night she had actually shown up drunk off her ass onto her doorstep early in the morning saying that she had committed the murder and that the friend was just too scared to come forward until the police started interrogating people. Ugh. So finally... I hate this story. I know. These ones so where friends horrible? just suddenly turn and murder their best friend. I just... I know. I mean, yeah, they're like sisters sometimes, and sometimes you want to smack your sister, but... Mm -hmm. But brutally murder... Like, strangulation, that doesn't just happen in a split second. It's not like no. you just shot her out of instinct. It was... That's just something that's been building up, apparently, and mm -hmm. Brittany must not have even been aware of it. Cheyenne was finally arrested in 2017, so two years after this. 
but claimed that she had no recollection of the murder because she had been severely intoxicated at this point. She did remember being drunk and high. They had both been partaking. But when the two got into a heated argument, she doesn't remember what it was about, but that's all she remembers, that they got into an argument and then her friend was dead and just don't. And then apparently went onto her Facebook and posted, I hope you got home safe. Like, yeah. Yeah, because that seems like something that you would do if you just murdered Casual, yeah. After this all came to light, her uncle, who was her alibi for the night after she got home from the bars, actually came forward again and retracted his alibi with her saying, I was just lying to protect her. I didn't know what she did. Now that I know it's murder, she can go to hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, as soon as you go on and you're posting, it's just like that cop from the last time who was Mm -hmm. falsifying the tickets. Once you start covering your ass, you're not insane. You're not insane. You do remember what happened. Mm -hmm. And you are just trying to keep out of trouble that you rightfully need to be in. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, this one doesn't really have a huge, great ending I really disagree with this. But in 2018, Cheyenne Rose Antoine, now 20 at the time, pleaded guilty to a manslaughter charge, and because she pled guilty, she only received seven years in jail. So she's still in prison now. She's still in prison now, but she'll be out here in a couple years. I would really be interested in, was this something that was building up, or was this just a, Brittany said something that really made me mad, and so I strangled her. Well, I was on Reddit quite a bit looking into what else, because this is not one of those stories that's so well known that it has a Wikipedia or anything. I had to literally read 300 articles to find the details of Mm -hmm. it. But a lot of people on Reddit were saying that Cheyenne had grown up in and out of foster care. Her mom had died when she was younger and stuff like that. So she had, just a month before this murder happened, reported to the police that her foster parents had been abusing her. And now that she was 18, she wanted to protect her siblings and stuff in the foster system. But she'd been suffering sexual, physical, mental abuse since she was really young. And also, there was a point made that they have laws about Aboriginal people in Canada. Right. I don't remember exactly how they put it. I should have written down because I don't want to speak out my ass on this. But basically that, I guess, Cheyenne had Aboriginal history in her family. So that way, they do a little bit lighter sentences because they can attribute the fact that they grew up in a really fucked up lifestyle. A lot of times based on their treatment. Right. So that kind of gave her, I think, the manslaughter versus second-degree murder charge. Okay. So I understand reducing it and all of that. It's just only seven years. I don't think that's enough time to learn your lesson, personally. Well, Especially when you show so little remorse for doing it. Well, I think that the history in Canada is very similar to the history in the U.S. and the way that the Native peoples were treated. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they have some sort of PTSD just from that, that growing up in that environment, but... Wow, what a sad story. That that poor girl. Poor sweetie. And I'll post pictures of her again on their Instagram. Yeah, oh wow. Yeah, so bring us up, please. (laughs) Well, mine is down before it's up. Okay. This is a story of a little girl who saved the day. Okay. But there's a lot of bad things around that story. That's how mine always start, too, (laughs) so I get it. Go ahead. Crystal Sorrells and her sister Mark were staying at Kayleen Harris's home in Del Rio, Texas on New Year's Eve of 1999. The Sorrells family was in the process of moving from Kansas to Texas, and the sisters had been staying with the Harrises while their parents moved the rest of their belongings from Kansas. Ten-year-old Crystal was up on the top bunk, while 13-year-old Kayleen Harris was down in the bottom bunk below her. Mark, and I looked this up, I think it's Mark, M-A-R-Q-U-E, 
had wanted to stay up late for the holiday and then sleep on the floor of the same bedroom. But since she was only seven, the two older girls sent her out to sleep in a spare bedroom. And she was upset and, you know, disappointed at being left out. Mm -hmm. But about 3.50 a.m., Crystal, up in the top bunk, woke up to the sound of Kayleen below her struggling and screaming in the bunk on the bottom. Okay. As Crystal's eyes adjusted to the dark, she saw that there was a man with a 12-inch boning knife who was attacking her friend. Hoping he wouldn't know that she was there, Crystal lay on the bed motionless and silent. At first, he didn't seem to notice her, but after molesting, stabbing, and leaving Kayleen gasping on the floor, the man began to move around the bedroom. Crystal thought he seemed to be cleaning up evidence or trying to cover his tracks of being there. But as he turned back towards the bunk bed, he did notice her. He lunged towards Crystal with the bony knife. She grabbed her throat with both of her hands, trying to protect it from his blade. He told her angrily to move her hands, and she was terrified, so she did move them. He swung the blade across her throat, slicing it. Believing her only hope of survival was to play dead, she went limp. Her strategy worked, and he left her for dead. This attack had lasted just over 10 minutes until the killer left the house and sped off in a car. Once Crystal was confident he was gone, she managed to climb down from the bunk bed. Down on the floor, she checked on Kayleen, but Kayleen's labored gasping had ceased and Crystal knew that she was gone. Mm -hmm. Kayleen had been stabbed 16 times with the bony knife before having her throat slit. Crystal's own injuries were also grave. Her trachea had been severed and her hands were damaged from protecting her throat. The knife had nicked her vocal cords, and it had also sliced the sheath that covers Crystal's carotid artery, but the slice was short of the artery itself. Holy cow, that's bad. Just barely didn't get cut. Crystal gingerly made her way to the bedroom where her sister Mark was asleep. When she couldn't wake her sister, her assumption was that everyone in the house had been murdered like Kayleen. poor baby. The 10-year-old stumbled away from the Harris home, leaving behind a trail of blood and bloody handprints on the walls. She finally made it to a neighbor's house a quarter of a mile away, where she sought help for the Harrises, again because she thought the whole family had been slaughtered. Mm -hmm. Because her trachea had been cut and her vocal cords were injured, she was also unable to speak, which is part of the reason she couldn't wake her sister up. Yeah. Crystal had written several notes which read, The Harrises are hurt, need help. And, my neck needs help. Will I live? She's a little 10-year-old. You're going to make me cry again. (laughs) Thankfully, however, her sister and the rest of the Harris family had not been attacked. Using handwritten notes from her hospital bed, Crystal described the man who had killed Kayleen and attacked her, and a composite sketch was drawn up. Using the sketch, a photo lineup was set up, and Crystal immediately picked out the face of the killer. Within two days of the photo lineup, 35-year-old Tommy Lynn Sells had been arrested. Sells was a drifter who had befriended the Harrises through their community church and had visited the family's home several times leading up to the murder. On the night of the attack, the authorities said he had gone there with the main intent to sexually assault Kayleen. He had a specific target in mind that night and had only glanced into all the bedrooms until he found his intended victim. That is so creepy. It is. I can't imagine. This girl was 13. Oh my God. During Sells' trial, Crystal was called as a witness for the prosecution. On the day that she was set to testify, Sells had requested not to be in court that day, but Crystal was adamant that he be there. Mm -hmm. She wanted to force him to see the scars that he had left her with, and she described for the jury her never-ending nightmare. Looking Sells right in the eye, she recalled, 
He had his hand over her mouth. She was struggling. She told me with her eyes to stay there and not move, and so I didn't. He took the knife and slit her throat, and she just fell. Mm. He was ultimately convicted of killing Kayleen and sentenced to death. He also confessed to a string of murders that spanned the country and had taken place over decades. He called himself coast to coast because of his drifter lifestyle in which he hopped trains, panhandled, stole vehicles, and left behind a trail of bodies trying to romanticize his own foul activities. Yeah, so cool. Raping and murdering 13-year-olds. Cool. It it gets worse. Court records show that Sells claimed to have committed as many as 70 killings across the U.S. Oh, my God. Authorities believe he killed at least 22 people, including Ina Court, 28, and her four-year-old son, Rory, 1985, in Forsyth, Missouri. He also confessed to the 1987 murders of the Dardine family in Ina, Illinois, including Russell Dardine, 29, his pregnant wife, Ruby Dardine, 30, their three-year-old son, Peter, and their newborn daughter, who was born when Ruby went into labor during the beating. Jesus Christ. She, she was born and immediately murdered. He also pleaded guilty to capital murder in the 1999 death of nine-year-old Mary B. Perez, who was strangled during Fiesta in San Antonio, Texas. And he was indicted, but never tried for the 1997 slaying of 13-year-old Stephanie Mahaney in Missouri. Sells was executed via lethal injection on April 3, 2014 at the Texas State Penitentiary in Huntsville. So, this prolific, cross-country, otherwise uncatchable killer was taken down by a 10-year-old who survived and identified him So how did they connect him to the other cases? Was that just because he like admitted it once he was busted? Or? I think that they had no idea that this was a serial killer that was well, striking in all these states. Well, how they're connected with, from Right, they had no idea. Coast. But once she identified him and he was arrested, he started admitting other ones. Mm-hmm. And I think that there were other cases that were very similar to the ones that he admitted to. So, and it sounds like he admitted to 70 of them. Well, he probably just wanted, if I'm going down, I want to sound like a big man on the block. Yeah, but they they legitimately believe that he did 22 Mm. of them. But that's not the end of the story. Okay. So, after all this, this little brave 10-year-old girl who basically brings down a serial killer, 17 years later, in 2016, Crystal Sorrells and her sisters began receiving graphic images of the bloody crime scene via Facebook Messenger, later found to be sent by a stranger who turned out to be Alvin Willie George. He was basically an internet troll. He just researched the 1999 crime on the internet. He created Facebook accounts to send the harassing and intimidating messages to Crystal and her family members, as well as threatening to rape and kill them. So he found actual images of the crime scene of that girl that... Yeah, what I saw was that the very first image that they received was Kayleen's sliced neck. Mm. So this 25-year-old cyberstalker who lived in Cross City, Florida, was harassing them all the way out west in Idaho where they all lived. So how he latched onto this and decided that he was just going to try and make their lives miserable after they've already been through all of this, I don't know. His motivation was Some never... Some people are just so sick, and I don't... Yeah. I think, did he at least get jail time for this? Because that's really messed up. In April of 2021, so it took five years before mm-hmm. he was well, they actually... They had to track him down and everything too, so... Yeah. In t- April 2021, so only a year ago, Alvin George was convicted in what the Washington Post described as a textbook application of the federal cyber-stalking statute, 
which was an amendment to the Violence Against Women Act. Mm -hmm. A federal judge sentenced him to 51 months in prison, after which he will have three years of supervised release. So they may have, you know, just over seven years of peace before he's going to maybe start his crap again. And you know what? I bet he'll think twice before he starts that stupid crap again because, oh my gosh. I can't, I'm like laughing because it's like, how does your mind think to do something like that? I don't. There are so many sick, twisted people. I don't know what, what would make you want to torment somebody that way. Especially somebody who was a child when, do you know how much healing that poor girl has had to go through to get to where she is now? Like, I can't. I don't understand. So the summary Uh. of my upper story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is that this cross-country, totally off-the-radar, otherwise uncatchable killer was taken down by a 10-year-old who survived and identified his psychopathic ass so he could be caught and convicted. Mm -hmm. Crystal is now married, has a son, and is living her life to the fullest every single day. Mm -hmm. And who knows how many lives she saved by getting this ass off the street. Well, he. How do you know how old he was when he got caught? He was thirty-five when he got caught. Oh my! Yeah, for sure. That guy could have been gone till he was seventy. Yeah, oh and he had my. been killing for twenty years already, at least. Oh. So, so he was like what fifteen-ish when? I don't know. I, I I mean I believe that for sure. It happens a lot, unfortunately. Well, last week I told stories of how many younger people, than that. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. So, so there we go. Well, I'm proud of her. I am too. I mean, her mom made a comment after the trial that she looked this man in the eye and called him out on what he had done. And she didn't flinch. She didn't blink. She just was there to say, Mm -hmm. I saw you. I know what you did. And the mom said, you know what? There's a lot of adults who wouldn't be able to do that. I would not. No. I couldn't. So... And I'm not not crying. You're crying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not crying because I, I... it's a happy ending. Don't get me wrong. I just feel for that poor girl. <laughs> I do too. It was a horrible thing to go Ugh. through. And she lost her her friend and the Harrises lost their daughter and all those other families. I mean, one of those, the family in Illinois, mm-hmm. a three-year-old and a newborn. Yeah, the whole family and, just gone in blink of an eye like and that. And Mary B. Perez was nine. Mm-hmm. So, <sighs> well, so tell me something funny. Okay. So I haven't been doing this lately. Usually we just end it on like an embarrassing story from my past. (laughs) Or a scary one from my past. Yeah, either or. But while I was scrolling this morning while drinking my coffee, I decided, oh, what the heck? We haven't done Florida Man in a while. All right. So just for the hell of it, I searched Florida Man with today that we're recording state. So today is April 23rd. Okay. So Florida Man, April 23rd, and this is an article that came up, and I just had to include it because it came with a video that I thought was really funny. Well, it's hard to show a video in a podcast. But I want to show it to you, and you can kind of hear the newscaster, and we can cut that part out if we don't like it. All right. But it's from CBS4 Miami. So it says, Orlando, the man in the bunny suit is speaking out. That's right. (laughs) The guy in an Easter bunny suit caught on viral video punching another man outside an Orlando nightclub Sunday night, <laughs> says he was simply bar hopping, get it, bunny suit, bar hopping, <laughs> with friends when he spotted another man and a woman fighting. He hopped over to help the woman and let his furry fist fly. Oh, and this is a quote from the bunny man. He says, so I got over there so I could break up the fight, and with me trying to break up the fight, he got on top of her and hit her. So I had to try a different method, basically, to break up the fight, which worked, explained, ironically, Antoine. Obviously, you're not watching it because we are a podcast, 
But I will try to include this on our Instagram. And then a, and then a big guy with a bandana comes over to us. The bunny was still dressed up in the evening hours there, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. That, that, he was too drunk to figure out how to get the costume on. That's cute. I just loved his little tiny ears. Like, you can tell he's pissed off in that costume, but his little ears are just flopping every which way. So, that thing made me think of another embarrassing story from your childhood. Oh, good lord. Okay, I have to approve this one to go on air. Well, this is about (laughs) when you were six. All right. And this is about the time when we had the little plastic creatures that came in your Happy Meal or something. One of the restaurants. Not that I ever go to fast food restaurants, but we had the little plastic... You had little plastic animal figurines mm-hmm. and one of them was a little raccoon oh, and one day it I was, was the Pocahontas com- raccoon I remember this vividly now and I was in the kitchen and I was I was making dinner and you came in running into the kitchen mommy something's wrong or something <laughs> to that effect I don't know if that's verbatim <laughs> mommy something's wrong and I'm like what what Cooney's dead <laughs> And so I follow you into your bedroom, and you've taken your little plastic raccoon and sat it directly on top of the light bulb <laughs> on your little desk lamp, and it's just melted. It, the whole light bulb is completely encased in little melted raccoon. Well, so at the age of six, I learned that plastic melts. Yes. At the age of 26, I learned that wood floats. So, <laughs> you know, we're just trying to progress and... Indeed. Teach ourselves slowly over You know the years. what? Life is just forward motion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On the bright side, at least that was a pretty easy fix. All you had to do was unscrew it and replace it, but... Yes. So, who are our call-outs for this week? First, we want to give a special shout-out and thank you to the people that you heard at the beginning of our podcast this week, Brad and Denise. So, if you get a chance, now that the episode's almost over, go ahead, check them out at World's True Crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we just really love them. They've been good friends to us throughout this entire process. So. Well, because they started just about the same time yeah. that we did, and we've kind of buddied up all along. So We're in this together. <laughs> and I have a shout-out that I just want to say thank you to our very devoted listeners in Brussels, Belgium, because you have been there on our map since the very beginning, and we are so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And every single week, without fail, we check, and you guys are right there. So We see you, and we are so thankful. Once again, as always, you can reach out to us at True Crime BNB on both Instagram and Twitter. And also, if you have something that you want to send to us, you can also send something to us at truecrimebnbpod at gmail.com. I also wanted to say, request, we have one condition. We try really hard not to do really horrific child murders. And we also try not to do ones that have been super, super overdone. well done. Not overdone, but well done by other people. True, yeah. Who are far more experienced and probably better at this than <laughs> I am. So, yeah. So if you know of cases that are smaller or quieter. Yeah, even if you have a case more, in your town that you feel like didn't get the press it needed, we'd love to hear about it. We'd love to talk to you, chat with you and everything. Right. Unless you're the murderer, then screw you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yes, we do not advocate for murderers. Not in this pod. (laughs) One last thing. Okay. I also want to say thank you so much to Jenny and Dee Dee. Oh, yes. At Murder on My Street. Because we did not swap trailers with them. They just offered to share ours. Mm -hmm. And it was so generous and thoughtful. 
And so they did that this past week, and I just wanted to say a very heartfelt thank you for that. Yes, so you'll hear from them, I'm sure. Well, (laughs) you probably are already listening to them, but if you're not, you're missing out. No, I meant on our podcast. They have quite a few more than we do out there right now. But definitely, if you are not, and I can't imagine why you're not already listening to them, but if you're not, please go find them because they're awesome. Yeah, go give them a listen. And a special message to my mom, who was listening last week, and she said that we were cussing way too much. Grandma Jan, I love you. This one is for you. I held my potty mouth to myself, and now Mom has to hear me curse in private for the rest of the evening. (laughs) So her pain is for your reward. We actually do cuss, but we don't cuss all that much. It's just when an awful story is told, I that's my natural reaction is to be like, holy mother of blah blah blah, like, you know. Yeah, and when you're talking about a murderer, sometimes you want to call them bad names. Yes, mother fluffer. Yes. So, Mom, we love you. This episode is semi-dedicated to you, semi-dedicated to World's True Crime, and our Belgium listener. (laughs) Murder on my street, of course. Good job. (laughs) I think that's all I've got for you. We love you guys, we thank you, and we hope to find you here next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.